Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. My name is Christine and I'm an alcoholic. Um, today's uh, sponsor, let me take a look at who our sponsor is today. Miss Andrea Swanson is a dear friend of us in recovery. Andrea, thank you so much for being a sponsor of the show. Um, I love your guts and I'm so grateful to you. Um, today we have Miss Marsha on the show. I, I ran into Marsha on one of the recovery pages. I don't even remember remember which one, Marsha, do you? Uh, if I don't, I don't, it could have been the BAM, which is, uh, Rachel has the BAM, uh, B-A-M. It's a nonprofit here in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. They've got a pretty good following. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, she's the one that contacted me that said contact Christina. Yes, I'm so, so I'm so glad. Yeah. She's a, she's a, she's a definite warrior in recovery. She has addict Yay. with a purpose too, which is a, a great page on oh. social media that you can check out. So I invited Marsha to come on the show and, and on the show, Marsha, all we, we just simply share what it was like, what happened and what we're like now, yeah. um, you know, our experience, strength and hope so we can reach that person who's still suffering. Right. So I right. want to hear all about Marsha. Marsha, and what got you where you are? Tell me, tell me all the things. Well, you know, uh, one of the things I thought when I saw the name of your podcast, um, you know, it it kind of struck me and said, okay, God help me with purpose around, you know, what your what your purpose is, and it had to do with purpose. Mm-hmm. And I thought, um, what a wonderful way, you know, when you ask God to give me the words to say. Um, to share the story that he would have me share. Uh, I told one of my sponsees today, well, I'm not sure what story is going to come out today, but I'm sure it's going to be the one that, you know, is going to help as many people as possible that's listening to your podcast. I love it. Well, I want to thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast and your show. And just thank you for the courage. Um, You know, courage is courageous. That's what I say. Mm -hmm. And when, People see us, um, you know, normies or people in recovery, no matter what, if they see us stepping out into our lives and into recovery, then I believe it gives them hope. And uh, one of the themes of recovery for me is I had to find some purpose. Right. Uh, and I realized when I got sober, uh, March 11th of 2000 mm. is my sobriety date. So I'm coming up on a birthday. And um that was just a day that I decided to do something different uh, than I had ever done before. And I call that, you know, the surrender that takes place. Now, it wasn't this 
kumbaya kind of surrender or anything. It was under duress. <laughs> um, I, I as get the as is so many of our stories <laughs> began. Yes, we get that gift of desperation. I love it. Um, I love it. You know, I had the law behind me and I had become a criminal. I was a corporate ladder climber. You know, I had, uh, I worked for Holiday Inn, building hotels from the ground up. Uh, I was a corporate ladder climber. I had an ego that fit with the hospitality industry. Uh, hospitality industry likes to drink and uh, they, has a, they have a lot of drugs that are also, uh, you know, kind of rampant in the circles that I was in. I'm sure that's not true for all hotel industries, but that was also, um, you know, back in 1997, 1998, uh, probably even before then. Um, it was a different kind of place for me. And so my home is in Salt Lake City, Utah, but I call myself a Four Corners girl. Uh, I was born in Durango, Colorado. Uh, my family, due to their alcoholism uh, and homeless states at times, uh, like to stay in the warmer states like New Mexico and Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, my dad was a surveyor, and so he put and assisted in building a lot of the highways um, and in uh, Utah, or not in Utah, but in New Mexico and uh, Arizona. So we were a transient family. We went where his work was. And uh, my parents were both um, alcoholic and uh, alcohol was just a natural and normal thing in my environment. I didn't see it as being anything wrong or bad or it's just what what my parents did. And uh, they would offer us alcohol or if I picked up my dad's drink and had a beer uh, drink from it, he didn't say, oh, don't do that. Um, so I never heard anything about drinking problems unless I went to see my grandpa. Right. My grandpa was uh, sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous when he died, uh, probably 35 years. He was a hobo drunk. Uh, he was an uh, alcoholic back in the 30s. Um, I can remember uh, times when my mom would drop me and my little brother off at my grandparents' house in Durango to stay uh, for a short period of time uh, without them. So they would, you know, go out on the road without us. And um, uh, my grandpa would talk, he was sober at the time, would talk very fondly about the beginnings of AA. And I didn't realize how sweet that was, of course, until I got into AA and I was sober for some years. Um, but he would talk about, you know, uh, uh, Bill and Bob and starting the program uh, east of the Mississippi. Really? Uh, because it had not yet come to the West very much. And um, him and his brother, uh, uh, his brother was the one that opened one of the first, we'll call it what they would call today sober living homes. Mm -hmm. uh, then it was just a flop house for men that were trying to get sober to stay in. And they they realized that in numbers, they had better outcomes. Right. Uh, they could support each other and you had to be sober to live in the house. So um, uh, I uh, I was very fortunate at the time he had at his dining room table uh, on the wall. He had the serenity prayer and he would say that all the time. Uh, he just, he loved to ramble and talk and he's a storyteller. I like to ramble and talk and little did I know that he was preparing me. Uh, you know, this is probably when I was about uh, 
10 to 13 years old, that he was preparing me for a journey that I would end up taking in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, Mm. you know, that I call the spiritual part of our program, that um, when I got sober, I could then turn around and look. Reflect on that, yeah. And reflect Mm. and, and really see what was there that I couldn't see before because, you know, alcohol and drugs um, clog our vision up. We, we see the bottom of a bottle or the end of a blunt or, you know, the next fix in your needle, whatever it may be. And that becomes our focus. Um, and so, uh, I wasn't always a drug addict and an alcoholic. Uh, I, you know, had time, um, uh, watching my parents do that. And I swore, I swore, I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to do that. I'm different. Um, but I had, uh, let's say I've got five brothers and sisters. Uh, I have uh, three, four older siblings, uh, three brothers and one sister. And I had a brother that was below me. Um, and all of us suffer from the same uh, problem. And the problem is alcoholism and drug addiction. Wow. Uh, I had one brother that had bulimia along with it. And uh, I have my oldest brother was uh, very criminal minded and uh, he was incarcerated at the age of 13 and and would not see the light of day long term uh, until he was 66, 67. And drugs and alcohol were always part of his problem in in his youth. And his prison stays, if he'd get out for a year, you know, drugs and alcohol were part of that and he'd return to prison. Um, and uh, the, the my sister, uh, she was more of a, a, a an alcoholic that um, she was functional, more functional. She smoked marijuana. That was her drug of choice. And alcohol was something that she did um, just socially. But it's interesting to see the paths that my brothers and sisters have taken um, I often say you can find your brothers and sisters in Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, when you go in the rooms. Um, and uh, and so I got to see their drinking patterns uh, and their using patterns. I had a brother that's a year older than me and a brother that's a year younger than me. Um, my brother Verlin uh, passed away on his 48th birthday. Um, he went to a bar to celebrate and he was in a head-on collision driving home. Um, you know, alcoholism kills, uh, drug addiction kills. Uh, my younger brother passed away in, uh, March of 2021 complications from, um, cancer that he had. Uh, but he was trying to get off the opiates that they had given him for his surgery. He was alcoholic all of his life since he was a, he was a pass out blackout drunk at 11 and uh, it bit him bad. And and he stayed drunk his whole adult life, Um, you know, barely getting by, you know, it's a Uh life. uh, He never got married. He stayed with my mom. My mom's alcoholic. They traveled around and were kind of transient, uh, and so they uh, live cl- what I like to call close to the bone. If you're ever living close to the bone, there's not a lot of meat there. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of <laughs> substance, yeah. Not a lot of substance. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So uh, he he was on opiates from the surgery. He had uh, cancer in his throat and they had to redesign his jaw. Oh and gosh. he was deformed in, in many ways, could barely speak. He could not eat solid foods anymore. But the miracle for him was, I got I to gotta share this one. He called me one day after uh, they had found the cancer. And he said, Mark, that's what my family calls me as Mark. Uh, I was sitting on my bed last night and Jesus came to visit me. And I said, oh, that's amazing. What, what did he tell you? He told me that I need to quit drinking. I need to quit smoking. And I need to go back to church. And I said, well, that's amazing. He goes, and I need to get baptized. That's one thing I got to get baptized. Oh. And I said, that's amazing. I said, I hope I, I'm sober at the time he's telling me this. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm, I support you in that. And I surely hope that, you know, you find your way uh, and keep me posted on how that goes. Um, and the good news is uh, my brother, Eddie, uh, he passed away in March. Uh, he was uh, off the alcohol, off the cigarettes. He did get baptized. He did go back to church. He started going out in the community and doing, uh, he worked with a, a church out there called Community Outreach. And they work with the prostitutions, uh, the prostitutes, the people on the streets that are coming out of prison and they do street ministry. Man, uh, talk about uh, revitalizing your faith. Mm. Um, step out and encourage and work with uh, gangs in mm -hmm. Albuquerque and the prostitutes was amazing. Wow. The church is amazing. Um, but he uh, he couldn't get off the opioids because he was dependent on them for pain management. He suffered horrible pain. Um, and he would just tell me, Mart, I want to get off these. He would try, but there was just too much pain for him. Uh, so I say he died sober from alcohol. Right. Uh, but uh, the beast is, you know, was still beaten in his heart. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I wished he would have seen, you know, a day uh, sober that he had put together from uh, being off of the opioids. But um, I consider myself the the fortunate one in, in my family. Um, I, uh, at 12 years old, was taken into state's custody in New Mexico and made a ward of the state. And my uh, boyfriend, who I liked uh, in the neighborhood, um, I had been hanging out at their house quite a bit. And when my mom, my mom would leave me and my little brother for weeks at a time and we wouldn't know where she was. So, um, I would go over to their house and tell them my, my mom, I don't know when she's coming back. And they'll say, well, you'll be staying with us. So I'd go fetch my little brother. Uh, he was the only one that was in the home with me at the time. The others had gone, been farmed out or my brother was in prison. And we went over and lived at their house for the time that my mom was gone. And they made sure we ate and, and they put us in school and uh, was taking care of us. And I'm like, oh, I like this. Um, this is what it's supposed to be like. Um, my uh, my experience was that my uh, my mom didn't uh, show up for um, a court that, that was held uh, so that she could do uh, my my foster dad, I call him my foster dad, who had taken us in, filed neglect charges against her and abuse charges for abandoning us. And so uh, we went to court uh, that day and um, the judge, uh, she didn't show up. My mom or my dad didn't show up. So I was made a ward of the court. And I said to him, the judge said, Marsha, you have been emancipated. 
And I said, emancipated, that's a pretty big word for a pretty little girl. And he goes, do you know Abraham Lincoln? And I go, yeah, I know Abraham Lincoln. He goes, he emancipated the slaves. That means you're free. <gasps> and I thought, you know, I felt that little joy for a minute. And mm -hmm. then the fear set in. And I went, <gasps> I said, I don't know if it's good to set a 12-year-old girl free. What, what's going to happen to me? And he goes, well, you become a state, you know, ward of the state, and uh, you'll be in foster care. And somebody, you know, hopefully will uh, step up for you. And that's when my foster dad, he was in a wheelchair next to me. He's my hero. Uh, his name is Robert Stafford. Um, he was paralyzed from the neck down when he was 35 in the Vietnam War. He was a pilot. Oh, wow. uh, he did two tours. He did two tours in Vietnam. And uh, he was paralyzed from the neck down over in Germany. That's his, uh, he has an alcoholic story that got him there because military drunks know how to drink. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but he had been paralyzed uh, and uh, he said, I'm going to be her foster dad. And the judge said, okay, we're going to put her in your custody. You apply. And um, of course, their son, Denton, was my boyfriend, um, who I just loved. You know, I fell in love with him immediately. And uh, anyhow, he became my foster brother and we were raised together. Uh, he stayed my boyfriend uh, and we had military standards for where I was and where he was. Um, and uh, uh, I ended up marrying him when I was 19. He asked me to marry him. So um, he became my husband. His family became my family. And I got that family that I didn't ever think I was going to get, but always wanted. And um, so they put me in school um, and I realized my mom did not always put us in school. So there were years that were missed of schooling. Um, alcoholics do that. You know, I had to, man, my recovery had to, a lot to do with, you know, being an adult child of uh, mm -hmm. alcoholic. And I'm thankful for that program because they gave me some guidance uh, around dealing with that. Uh, part of my early recovery had to do with um, accepting my parents' alcoholism for what it was because I hated them. I loathed them. And I had a sponsor tell me, hey, Marsha, you hold on to that hate and you'll drink again. Absolutely. I'm like, I don't ever want that to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. So I had to get busy. Um, I had a therapist and uh, he told me, I want you to read this book. It's called My Mother, Myself. <clears throat> oh. Uh, no, no, I did not. No, thank you. <laughs> no, I'm not my mother. All my life I spent denying that I was a branch off the old tree, you know. And uh, I love uh, page 417 in the big book, you know, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems right. today. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until I could accept their alcoholism and specifically my mom, because she was my the one I hated the most. My dad, I just loved him no matter what he did. I was a daddy's girl, uh, but he was as big a drunk as she was. Um, but until I could accept their alcoholism, I could not stay sober. So I did some work in the beginning to accept that that was, uh, you know, where I had come from. I had to understand and get to understand the disease. Um, I made it to alcoholism or to Alcoholics Anonymous in March uh, via a judge um, and, uh, he ordered me to go to treatment and, um, I ended up in an outpatient program. 
Uh, I was 41 years old. Um, uh, in that foster family, I'm going to jump back there for a minute. Um, you know, that was my place to learn how to be uh, and live with people who were what I call normies. Mm -hmm. uh, what I found out is my foster mom and my dad, it was Mary and Bob, they were military drunks. Uh, military drunks are different than the kind of drunks that my family was. They can keep their, they one, make lots of money. They have nice house. They keep their kids in school and they're more functional until they're not. And it's a social, it's like in everything. Of course, you go to the um, clubhouse and you drink with your, you know, officers and um, it was a big, it was a big, this was a nice thing. I saw alcoholism as being, oh, look at this party. This is how you do it. Uh, and I thought maybe I could do that. Wasn't like, you know, living in our car and stuff. No, I didn't want none of that homeless stuff. This is, you know, this is how you how do it. How it's supposed to be. Yes, like uh -huh. a lady. Uh -huh. Like a I was a chug-a-lugger from the very first time I drank any green spring, you know, right. easy days, late nights, whatever, you know, the bottle was. Um, so I, I did well in school when I got into high school. Uh, I played sports. I was active. Um, I did. Uh, I did like to stay. I was the one that after a sports game said, hey, why don't we go have something to drink? And there were others always in the group. There's others that'll always, you know, we, we, uh, we culminate together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you can look across the room and go, oh, okay, I need to go talk to that person. Yep. And there, so we there, start. There is a willing participant. <laughs> That's right. And we have the look, you yep. know, yep. you can't bullshit, bullshit, you but you can't also, you know, across the room, I'm going to go talk to that person and see if we can get something going for after the game. And yeah. Um, and so we, I started smoking pot and, and drinking after the games. And, and I thought, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, I'm doing okay. You know, I convinced I'm that boy whistling in the wind. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. Uh, my uh, boyfriend, uh, he, I introduced alcohol to him and marijuana to him. I needed a buddy. And uh, he started, you know, uh, drinking as, as as I did and used as I did. And I found he's got a pretty high tolerance, too. I like this guy. Um, and so we um, uh, we partnered up in our using. Uh, we wanted to make sure because we had to. The military family taught me how to keep the facade. My bottomless the homeless, they, they don't care what they look like. And there was never a, you got to make sure you look a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, you'd already lost the bottom and the bottom is where you stayed. And so we lived there and we didn't much care what other people thought about us. But getting trained up in the military way, I, I got some, oh, I've got to protect, I've got to get this ego. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I have to make sure I don't vomit on anybody or, you know, do anything that would be unbecoming of me. And I was building an ego that I, that I needed to be a certain way, look a certain way. And, um, it was based on the people that were around me. So I was becoming very ingenuous, dishonest. I wanted to be who you wanted me to be. Uh, the people pleaser in me came right out, common trait uh -huh. in a 
Yes. And uh, so uh, my husband and I, uh, we we got we moved to Salt Lake to help take care of his dad. We were in New Mexico. We moved to Salt Lake to take care of his dad. And uh, that's when we started learning how to drink throughout the week. Um, you know, you only drink on weekends. You got to keep the facade up at work. So we drank on the weekends and it was just a couple beers. You get a nice little buzz because the drinking patterns changed depending on where I was and who I was with. I'm a chameleon for sure. Uh-huh. I had an AA meeting when I got sober. I'm like, oh gosh, these people know me. Right. I, me right there. I got many colors change wherever I go. So there wasn't a consistent pattern, you know, at a time I could take it or leave it. Um, but I, it needed to be around for most things. Um, and I started, uh, drinking on the weekends, we drink to get drunk and then we drink some more and start adding, you know, marijuana to it. Uh, and then I'm like, well, why should we wait till the weekend? Who says we can't drink during the week? We had these boundaries about, oh, I want to be ready for work and be the, you know, and we crossed every boundary that we set. You know, it just got progressively, um, progressively increased in our tolerance. And uh, we were holding the show down for, uh, we thought we were doing pretty good. You know, we I climbed the corporate ladder at Holiday Inn. My husband uh, worked uh, in a manufacturing for Amsco Windows, climbed the ladder, um, we uh, practiced having children uh, a lot, but we never were able to uh, have a child. And we were taking care of his dad who was paralyzed from the neck down. And we did that for 14 years in our early 20s and 30s. Oh, wow. So, and he drank. Uh, his parents got divorced. And so uh, Bob, as his name was, he was an uh, uh, alcoholic. But he's paralyzed. So alcoholic that's paralyzed just drink all the time. They don't have any purpose in life. Uh, And um, so drinking just continued to increase. And it was starting to get a little darker. Starting to get a little darker. We're in our, you know, mid-30s, no kids. Just climbing the the mountain money. Uh, We could buy jet skis. And, you know, we bought, we were materialistic. Um, but I couldn't tell you, we knew how to live a day sober or a day honestly. And, um, in lied, our uh, in lied, uh, part of our problem for progressing, we just surrounded ourselves with people who drank and used like we did. Um, and, uh, we were living the life Fandango, uh, Denton's dad died. And that was, uh, that was a crash for us. Our reality came down. Um, because it would be the first time that we were to live on our own. And I was 37 and my husband was 39. Otherwise, we'd always lived in his father's house, taking care of his father. Our money was disposable. We He paid all the bills. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Talk about a crash. I'm at a reality check. Yeah. A reality check. Wow. And um, so we we had to make some changes. Uh, and, uh, it was difficult for us. Uh, and what we did is we just increased the drugs and the alcohol and what came into our life for a period of time was cocaine. Um, we started using methamphetamines and I'm like, 
you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I don't know why we should be buying this stuff from other people when we could just make it in our house. I mean, we have this beautiful house. We have a basement not being used. Let's do that. And uh, I've always kind of been the ringleader uh, telling my husband, okay, let's come up with this bright idea and let's go do it. And he would go, okay, let's have, that sounds like a great idea. Let's make methamphetamines in our basement. <laughs> and so uh, cut out the middleman. It made perfect sense. You know, what I learned is that we can make perfect sense out of anything, be it bad or be it good, whatever reality I want to create, uh, Christine, is what I produce. And uh -huh. I, I really didn't see that until I got sober. It would be a very important piece for me to understand and know as I was learning about sobriety, because that was a whole new reality for me. Um, and so I was in this world using drugs. Um, I had lost my job. And uh, I was working for a, a big food distributor in Salt Lake City, Nicholas and Company. And I was a, I was a buyer. I bought food all over the world, uh, boatloads of it, and uh, managed a lot of money. And uh, I couldn't show up to my job. You know, I was I was becoming not functional. I was lying to them. I was becoming this person that I never wanted to be, which was my mother. Mm. Uh, and I just despised myself and lied. And so I quit that job before they fired me. That's what I quit. I could see it coming. They, I lied about my boss, something horrible. Um, the amends uh, process of this program works. <laughs> Thank goodness uh, that uh, I could have some repair around some of the things that I had done, the woman that I was becoming. Um, I don't think I would have got sober if that wasn't part of our program. Right. Because uh, that's a heavy weight that we all carry as human beings. Uh, going against our soul, going against the grain of knowing what is right and then doing the wrong thing um, is very, very horrible. And then you need more drugs and alcohol in order to cover that up. Well, because yeah, I, love, I love what you just said, Marcia, about how heavy that is. You you take yeah. all of those wrongs and you just envision that they're, you know, they're on your on your back and you're, you're carrying them everywhere you go. And for right. me, at least, I, I think the same for you. Drugs and alcohol made me strong enough, air quote, oh, yeah. I, there's video right there, <laughs> strong enough to carry all that. Un yes. Until. Yes. <laughs> until it if didn't. I hadn't, have, if I had, and I, I agree with your uh, position there. If I had not had drugs and alcohol in my system while I was doing what I was doing, um, I, I would have surely crashed. Mm -hmm. It gave me a false sense of confidence. Uh, I say courage is courageous. Well, stupidity is courageous too, given enough alcohol and drugs mm -hmm. in you. Mm -hmm. And um, I was becoming a criminal. I realized my brother's not the only one with a criminal mind. This little gal up here, once I became unemployed from a job that I was making, you know, close to $90,000 a year in to go to nothing. And I'm like, who am I? What am I? Where do I go? Well, I should be an entrepreneur making methamphetamines. That's, that's going to do it. My husband's still working at his job barely. Uh, he'd been on suspension and probation several times for drug use at work. 
Uh, and he worked at a glass company. It's very dangerous. He's almost sliced his arm open. You know, oh, we do. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so um, uh, the House of Cards was coming down. House of Cards was coming down. We could no longer hold up our facade. Uh, the police would be come to, called to my house because I set my house on fire twice, um, pulling matches for methamphetamine manufacturing. My neighbors were starting to question our reliability. Of course, they had seen us change and morph into people that they didn't know. Uh -huh. um, which is, you know, it's like being a turning into a werewolf or a vampire. Uh, you, you, you're un, un, you're unrecognizable right. to people that know you and know who you are. Um, Denton's family, um, they were not addicts and they would look at us and they just wanted to distance us. Yeah, just just go away. You people are doing things that we don't want to be a part of. Uh, they would stick their hand out for help and we'd go, Phew. you know, mm -hmm. uh, don't you know who we are? We're fine. Uh, they could see where we're falling apart. And um, uh, we're very fortunate that we did not get caught uh, or come to criminal awareness uh, in the court system for the things that we were doing. Do you know what I mean? I'm so grateful and blessed. And, and I know God has a hand in, 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 in the path that you go, but you can see the hand of God when all of a sudden it's something else happens when you should have been held accountable uh -huh. and, and, and you don't, I don't see that as me being great or mystic or anything I did while I was there, but I could see that God's hand was, um, on, on certain events that happened. Uh, and I'm thankful I didn't end up in prison as long as my brother did. Um, I did get um, two prison sentences. I got two zero to fives at the Utah State Penitentiary for joyriding. I stole a car um, and for uh, prostitution with my husband. Yeah, you can get prostitution with your husband if you're doing it out in public and in front of uh, undercover uh, cops. Mm. So these are things that you should not do when trying to obtain drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but they're my, that's my, the scarlet letter, mm -hmm. you know, it, that story became so poignant for me when I was sober. And I had to know that there was redemption. I had to know. Um, I, I got those two sentences and as the judge uh, sentenced me and I looked at him, I said, you can't send me to prison. Don't you know who I am? See, because I had developed this facade about who I thought I was and who other people thought I was, but that was a lie. Uh, and he said, uh, bailiff, take her away. And I had been, I had already served 265 days in jail. We had lost our home. We had lost, my husband lost his job. It was just a slow, that slow spiral down. You know, the big book talks about it. Read one of those personal stories in the back and you'll find yourself in mm. not just any of them. Two of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were living in a tent in the field by the time we went to jail. Um, you know, that was a relief for me to go to jail in the end. Um, I had, you know, I had lost my bottom. It had fallen out. And um, so uh, the bailiff, uh, I said, as I got my hands behind my back and I'm waddling away and I said, how am I supposed to pay these fines? And I had a perfectly good job at Microsoft, which I did before I got in here. So my husband and I were living in a tent in the field 
Uh, he was working at a manufacturing plant out by the airport. I was working for uh, Microsoft, um, helping open um, their SeaTech uh, Continuing Education Centers. Mm. We lived in a tent. We would get up and we would go to work every single day. You got to keep the bartender paid. Mm. Got to keep the bartender paid. And we had this little uh, little Honda Civic. I called it the Whisper 2000. And it had like 250,000 miles on it. When you live at the bottom, you learn how to get things to help you live at the bottom. And I told my husband when we got there, hey, I know how to do this. My mom and dad taught me everything we need to know while I'm here. And I'm like doing push-ups that were homeless. It was horrible. But it was on the other side, two heads of a coin. It was one thing that did save me as I did have some knowledge about living that way. And I said, we've got to stay employed. We got to get out of this. Everybody wants to climb out of that hole. Right. Uh, after and I, I see homeless on the streets today, and I know, I know in my hearts of hearts that there is a little bitty light inside of them. Um, and I love that song by Jesus. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That that light's not dead. They may look like it's dead because they've they've got so much adversity, uh, self-imposed and. Uh, uh, sometime mental illness going along with it. They have no way of knowing how to get out. They've fallen so far. Uh-huh. And um, uh, we were, you know, a step up from that. We had a tent in a field. We had our dogs. We had jobs that we were going to. And um, my husband gets arrested uh, because we have outstanding charges that we haven't ever, you know, we just run. Avoided, avoided, avoided. He got picked up one day for having a headlight out in the Whisper 2000. And uh, it was in the, uh, he pulled into the parking lot of his work. He had the dogs in the car with him. And um, the uh, owners that he was working for uh, came out. They took him away for uh, his tickets and they put the dogs in the, um, in uh, the animal control, came and got him. And the work called me and said, hey, the car's here, come and get it. And they called me at work. I left work. I went and got the car. And I decided I'm done with this guy. I'm done with him. I'm done with the dogs. Uh, I'm just going to leave them all behind. And I got in that car. I took all the dope, of course. It was in our tent. And I said, I'm going to go west. I need a fresh start. Leave him in jail. Leave the dogs in the pound. I'm done. Uh, I got in the car and I started driving towards Tooele, and it's about 30, 45 minutes outside of Salt Lake by the Salt Flats. Nothing out there. It's desolate. And I'm driving and I'm feeling a sense of freedom. I've made a decision. It's nighttime and I'm free. And and I'm going to give this all up. And uh, uh, I had gotten rid of the drugs. I decided going to get rid of the drugs. Out, Out they go. I'd taken them from the Tent and I decided, no, fresh start is getting rid of this. I got rid of driving down the road and I see these red and blue lights. I'm like, oh crap, that can't be for me. I'm toting down the road. Uh, and of course, he's got to pull up next to me, tell me to pull over. I do. And I said, what'd you pull me over for? And he says, you were going 45 when you should have been going 75. Oh, good grief. Let me see your driver's license and registration, which I had none of. Uh, And so he uh, takes me to jail in Tooele. I have outstanding charges and thus 
starts our incarceration period, which was necessary. Without that, um, who knows how far I would have made it or what I would have done or the events that would have happened. But I do believe that God intervenes in our life in the times that it's supposed to intervene. Because maybe, you know, what's in front of us is something we couldn't handle. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe the plan that he has for us is something we we can handle and have always wanted. So I ended up in jail. Um, we were both in jail. The dogs were in the pound. Uh, an unfortunate thing is that, you know, them dogs never made it out. My husband and I, we made it out, but our dogs didn't. Uh-huh. And, you know, whether you have kids or dogs, I know to this day, and my sponsor helped me see that, if you would have had kids, because I always said, oh, I'm not going to be like my mom. See, I don't have kids. My dogs are my kids. You know, they were my kids. And I did to them worse, if not worse, than my mom did, because I tell myself a story. I tell myself that they both got adopted and they're in happy forever, ever homes. Um, but I have to acknowledge the flip side of that coin is that they may not have, and they could have been euthanized because of my irresponsibility and selfishness. And, um, you know, uh, the healing comes from taking responsibility Uh for those times in my life, only with the help of a sponsor. Does that happen? I did not come to any of my awareness on your own right oh no 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 going you know hearing in meetings um recovery is a a a slow process that has taken place in me over you know almost 24 years Mm -hmm. and um it was going to jail that was my inpatient program uh, because I had enough warrants out there for, and mine were, you know, not paying insurance, parking tickets. I stole the car. Um, I deprived somebody of their property. Um, and, and I'm sure if I'd have kept on, I would have ended up, you know, as bad as my brother with the kinds of things that, that you get involved in, the people you can get involved in at the bottom like that. Um, and so in that, jail was a place that I started going to the singing church. Um, AA and Cocaine Anonymous were in jail. I went to those programs because I couldn't stand being around the fart infested women's jail. Uh It was one of the nicest jails in Utah. Uh, It was not a place I wanted to be. And I realized why I was in there. I had nobody. I was sitting on a $50 bill and I had nobody. That would pay it. Nobody would take my call. Nobody, absolutely nobody. Um, and I ended up turning in a gal because I knew where she was in a bail bondsman, uh, you know, helped me get out. Um, but I would I would quick uh, be back in. I'd get arrested again because I had no place to go. I was truly lost. Mm. And jail became a place that I almost liked going to because I had a room, I had clothing, I had food. Kind of a sad existence for somebody like me. And um, so uh, I um, I got my sentence um, and the judge said I had to find a job from jail. He wasn't going to let me out. When I said I had a perfectly good job, how you expect me to pay these fines? He said, well, uh, you can get a job from jail. And I said, perfect. Thank you very much. 
So they were going to hold me at the county jail instead of sending me out to the prison. That was a blessing. And uh, but I didn't know I didn't have a car. I didn't know how I was going to find a job. Uh, it's in those moments where other inmates in the jail had more sense than I did. It's community, whether it's a community of AA or a community of people in jail. Uh, we are human beings at our core. Yep. And there's a, a light inside of all of us where we do want to help each other. And um, I, I was indigent. I didn't have stamps. I didn't have people started helping me uh, write letters. And, and somebody said, hey, why don't you ask for that good job back that you had at Microsoft? I thought, what a brilliant idea. Most of my brilliant ideas I learned at that point are not coming from this source, not from me. Uh, it was coming from, from that person who said that. I said, perfect. So I write the letter. I have somebody else read it. That's perfect. They give me a stamp. You know, I had to give them some of my food off the tray or whatever. And I sent that letter away. And one day the officer said, Marsha, roll them up. And I said, why, where, why am I being released? I was shocked. And he goes, I don't know. You have to go next door and call the court clerk. And I did. I called that court clerk and I said, how come I'm being released? And she said, you'll never believe this. But the human resource director that you wrote the letter to is Judge Dawson's, was Judge Dawson's bailiff. And he worked in that court for many, many a year before he got this job. And he said, you're an excellent, I'm an excellent employee. When I work, boy, I'm working for my money. I'm an excellent employee, high achiever, got to uh -huh. climb the mountain. Uh -huh. Everybody else along the way. Uh, he's, she's a fantastic employee. I'll surely bring her back. And if she steps out of line, I'm going to call the judge, let him know. I thought, that was kind of like a God, that was a very big God moment for me because I and I did not cause any of that. I could not. I was looking and I'm like, how can I take credit for this? Right. As I'm a narcissistic alcoholic, very high on the narcissistic level at that time. And I'm like, how can I take credit for this? And I couldn't see. There were, there were holes all over the place in my story and I had to concede. Wow. I'd been going to the singing church. Maybe that was God. And I walked myself in my little top and my little bot, my little uh, beanie bopper pants and my FU umps. Uh, I had a token for the bus. And I had some money that was on my books from a check that Microsoft had sent me. And uh, it was March of, uh, it was March of 1997 or 2000. And I had, um, no, no, it was. It was a year. I didn't get sober till a year later. Uh, March, when I got out of jail in 1997, I got sober in 2000. And uh, I had, it was cold. And I took that bus token and I got up to my brother's house in Bountiful. And I knocked on the door. And it's a big hill. I had to go up in my FU pumps very hard. And <laughs> Uh, his sister, his, my sister-in-law shoved, closed the door in my face, said, we don't want nothing to do with you. We don't want you around our kids. Get out of here. And I said on that front porch, and I said, I'm not leaving until my, my brother comes home. Not leaving. So this is my foster brother. I'm not leaving until he comes home. And he came home, and I said, Richard, I need your help. I, I am desperate. I have nowhere to go. Denton's in an inpatient treatment center in Ogden. And I said, I need your help. And he says, you'll stay in my basement. 
You'll have no contact with my children. I will call you to come up and eat. And you will, he had me on a schedule. Downstairs in his basement, uh, bathroom, uh, bedroom, all set up for just for me. You know what I found when I went down there? I found three boxes of my clothes and I found a box of all my bills that you keep, you know, your important papers yeah. in, birth certificates, uh, yeah. all that. Uh, that box was there. That's not me. That's God. That had been some time, you know, when we had probably moved some stuff up to his house. And that was where I started. I started with a bus token and a belief that it could be different for me. Wow. And, um, you know, I went to treatment. Um, it was in treatment that I uh, decided that these people have something for me. They made me go to AA. I was not a volunteer. <laughs> uh, I went to AA and I said, I am Marsha. I'm an alcoholic and I'm here to save my life. And I cried. I cried a lot. Um, in treatment, they told me to get a sponsor. Um, I went to the Friday night, six o'clock women in sobriety's meeting at the Alano Club uh, in Salt Lake. And I found uh, a gal that looked like me and had raised her hand and asked her to be my sponsor. And uh, she took me through the steps. Uh, she held my hand through the book. You know, we did uh, reading and uh, I went to as many meetings as I needed to stay sober. Uh, my husband got out of his inpatient program and we were both sober for the first time. Scariest time in our whole life. Um, two sober people that didn't really know each other. And I didn't know whether I even wanted to be with him. He sucked. Oh, he was ugly to me. And I heard this country western song uh, about... Um, when that uh, this person stopped drinking and, and they didn't like the way they looked and uh and it was because they didn't know him sober mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and of course the sponsors you know don't make any changes for a year marcia oh, and just stick in there i'm like i hate this place but i i gotta stay and i stayed and i i did the work and uh my husband he wasn't much into aa didn't like it uh he does what I called sucked sobriety off of me uh, because I wanted him to have my program and it was program, program, program. Uh, he stayed sober because it was a rule in our home. Uh, and um, I could, uh, we had negotiated our relationship that alcohol wasn't in it. And uh, I was learning how to stay sober at four years sober. I um, had an opportunity to um, go to college uh, and I had tried some college back in when I was 18, 19 years old. I played volleyball for the University of New Mexico, um, but I couldn't finish anything. I, they kicked me out of school. Uh, and so I thought, oh, could I go and do that? I was working at a treatment center, checking people in, uh, working again uh, for uh, a call center and just building my life, you know, from the bottom up. And AA helped me to find balance in, you know, taking first things first. Um, easy does it. I love the signs on the wall. I don't have them in my house, but uh, in most treatment centers, you'll see them first. Mm -hmm. 
let let live and let live. Um, and when you put them in order, it's it's like live first. But I can't I can't see them. I can see them at the Allen Old Club on the wall, but I can't remember them all. Uh, I was taking this serious. You know, when I first walked into AA, I remember I saw the Serenity Prayer. And I knew I was home. You know, I knew where I was supposed to be. And it's that spiritual part that just overwhelms you and mm. takes you away and washes the ego out. And it just says, you're home. This is where you need to stay. And staying is, it wasn't always so easy. And it, you know, as you continue to stay sober, it's not so easy to stay. Alcoholism is uh, a disease. Uh, it, we get in remission. Uh, but I will always have the ism, which is up right. here. Uh -huh. uh, and I'll think, oh, I need to stop doing service. I've been doing so much service. What I need to do is just stop, you know. Um, and then my sponsor says, okay, why don't you go get yourself another newcomer? You just need some new material. You need some new material in your life. Um, and it's interesting how the itty-bitty shitty committee, uh, you know, uh, continues to play a part in our lives. It's, uh, I have a relationship with it today, but I also have the steps. And I have um, a, a program that I can fall into. And I have a life beyond my wildest imagination today. Um, I have purpose. And um, I found my purpose in AA and serving others. Uh, my family was a taking family. I didn't know how to give. AA taught me how to give and be of service. Um, it taught me uh, how to be um, the woman that I am today by working with other women that I admire and they have such strength and courage. Uh, and, and, and I want to be that, you know, I like to hang out at the international women's convention mm -hmm. because I want to ladies do it. Uh, I am a product of AA and I will stay a product of AA. Um, I, um, uh, started my own business. You know, I went to school, I got my, uh, substance use disorder counseling, I became a probation officer, uh, and uh, in my first 10 years of my recovery, uh, my husband decided to go back out at 10 years, and he did not want to get help, uh, and he was having an uh, extramarital uh, affair, which was a deal breaker for me, and I said, I'm done, and I was able to walk away with the strength of the program and the women that were behind me, but I didn't have to drink through that. Uh, I lost my brother Verlin when he was 48 in a car crash. Uh, I didn't have to drink over that. Um, I watched my brother get out of prison and uh, he stayed sober. Uh, he's sober uh, now probably 10 years out of prison. Wow. Um, uh, I, uh, I trusted, you know, in the beginning my family used, so I had to put some distance. I went to Al-Anon. Uh, I had to show up in my family differently. We there's the tools that are just amazing in this program if we use them. Mm -hmm. If we if we say I'm worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know I was worth it. I did have to let let us love you until you can learn to love yourself. I thought, F you, I love myself just fine. Oh man. What I didn't know, right. you know, what I didn't know was just amazing. And uh today, um, you know, I, I, I went back to school, I got my master, I got a bachelor's in applied behavioral health science. Um, I went on to get my master's in psychology. Um, I'm a master's level clinician today. Um, I opened my own company called New You Recovery. Uh, 
business consulting. I open treatment centers, uh, sober living, detox centers, inpatient, outpatient. God gave me a product. It's called Treatment Center in a Box. And it's uh, from 10 years uh, until today. I've been working on that project with God's instruction. I, I have a sense of how God wrote the Bible today through working through others, uh, because I know that that is not mine. Uh, I wrote many papers in school inspired uh, to go to certain pages or web pages, you know, uh, when the spirit is leading me. And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to have a relationship with God or Holy Spirit. I'm a Christian woman today. Uh, and if I should ever get in another relationship, it will be with a Christian man. Uh -huh. I have a yardstick today. And, and that yardstick, I measure up against God and Jesus, uh, the scriptures. Um, I have two blue books. I have the big book and I have my my scripture book. Um I've done work around the world. Uh, you know, I work in Nepal. I opened a nonprofit company called New You Recovery Incorporated. And I saw that in these third world countries, they don't have access to treatment like we do. They didn't even have AA meetings. Oh, wow. So in Kathmandu, they had Narconon. And I was talking to one of my companion buddies over there, and I said, we need to bring AA over here. And he said, Marsha, it's hardly visible. And I said, we're going to change that. So I called uh, World Service Offices in New York. And I said, we need a central office here, and we need it now. What can you do? They sent me a whole package startup kit for central office and no charge. Wow. They told me to contact India uh, World Office over there uh, because they serve that Kathmandu area. And uh, so I made a trip with my all my goodies. And I said, we are going to hit the streets. I had some people that were AA members, but they were kind of like meeting each other's houses. And I'm like, let's let's open this up. Let's get official. Yeah. Yeah, official. And we did. And so I made a footprint. I made a footprint. Um, I have my uh, grandpa's story on um, uh, that he did right before he passed. And I submitted that to, you know, AA's archives here in Salt Lake City um, to feel a responsibility, you know, to others that are suffering, um, to be able to give back to them in a way that um, is just, is, it's the only thing I can do. It's the only thing I can give is what has been given to me so freely. And it just so, so happens to turn out it's the only thing that matters. It is the only thing that matters. At the end of the day, when I hit my pillow, you know, I pray incessantly throughout the day now because God taught me how to pray. Uh, my thoughts are my prayers. And so I work on cleaning up my thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have a process. I, I, I know. Uh, and I'm a little Jesus girl. I always have been. Uh, and so I talk to people about Jesus wherever I can. You know, I'm bringing souls to the kingdom. Uh, and if we can go sober, that's better. But I work with the drunk ones, too. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, ask God every day, how can I be of service to you? Right. Uh, you know, and even how he connected me to you to anybody is just, you know, it's just a, it's an amazing, amazing thing. 
And it's, I wouldn't miss it for the year. I wouldn't miss it for the world. And I want to be an old gray haired lady. Um, or as my sponsor says, one of them blue haired ladies, uh, that, you know, is still asking, how can I still, how can I help that still, um, suffering alcoholic, um, taking care of myself, you know, learn to do self-care has been, uh, only taught to me by others. Uh-huh. And, uh, blue, today, blue haired and blue booked, blue haired and blue booked, yeah. you know, I just turned and uh, that's like I'm now semi-retired I can say that Uh, but I still work like a dog because that's where I uh, that's where I get to that's where God has put my energy Um, work is not my recovery but I'm fortunate that I get to work you know in recovery in Mm -hmm. my job Mm -hmm. Uh, I can say uh, today every member of my immediate family my brothers and sisters now two have passed uh, but my, um, uh, my mom, uh, got sober at 87. Uh, she, I just celebrated, I just got back from New Mexico, celebrated her 93rd birthday. That's amazing. Uh, my brother Richard has stayed sober and out of prison after being institutionalized all of his life. He's an aa He loves AA, goes wherever he's at. Uh, he has a sponsor. He works with others. Um, my sister Debbie got sober. Uh, she will be five years sober. Uh, and my brother Bruce has been, is eight years sober and he's not suffering from his bulimia. Um, so we get to, we got to have a sober celebration of life, uh, when my mom uh, turned 93 and, you know, don't give up on your family. Uh, in the beginning, I wanted to buy insurance policies for them all because I was sure that they would be dead, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that would have uh, fallen short. (laughs) I'd have been paying on a losing bet. Uh, because today, you know, all of them are sober and, and I get to give hope to other individuals and women who are suffering through sponsorship with mending families and couldn't have kids. But I had a little 10 year old come into my life in 2022 because her parents uh, died of an overdose and she was my goddaughter. Oh, wow. And so I was able to bring her into my home. And, you know, God has filled me up. So you can't give away any more than when you're filled up to here. Uh-huh. You're only filled up to here. You're given, you know, you got to get in more. You got to ask God to fill you up uh-huh. some more. Well, you know, uh, something something that you said, Marcia, you said, you know, your family, which I think, I think all of us um, that are in addiction, you know, um, and alcoholism is addiction. I hate it when they yes. separate the two. But it's that, the same job. That it's we the are, same job. Right. That we are takers. You said your family was takers and you had to become a giver. And I was yeah. listening to this speaker tape the other day and it was one of those, you know, one of those aha moments where he said, yeah, he said, you know, yes, I was a taker. He said, but I didn't automatically become a giver. He said, yeah. I had to learn to be a Mm. receiver first because you can't give away what you haven't received. And so a lot of people come into treatment and they're overwhelmed thinking that they, it's like, no, no, let's just take you from being a taker to a Mm -hmm. receiver. We'll talk later about the giving. We'll that's on down the road, but for now, you know, and so I, that really struck me 
that I, and I still, you know, I, 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 and, and I love your, your time. You know, I'll be 12 in March, you know, but, but I still, I, I, re- I just came from a, a meeting coming here to the studio to talk to you. You know, it's, I still am receiving, you know, I don't yeah. ever want to not be receiving, you yes. know, um, it, because that, that of the giving is my soul food. Yes. That's what yes. just feeds my soul is That's to be right. able to give that away. And so I've got to keep receiving, mm-hmm. just like you said, I got to keep, yeah. cause, cause I'm telling you, I know, fill but it, it sure can get drained though. Can it? Yeah, right. It, can. it sure it can up. get drained. And if you don't fill it up, mm-hmm. not only are you in danger, but you're in danger of not being able to give it away and yes. help that other person yes. that, that God puts mm-hmm. in front of you. Yes. And I find AA wherever I go. And AA is alive in Nepal today. I used to sit in Nepali meetings, not understanding a word they said. But you but felt knew, every bit of it. Oh, I knew the language of the heart. That's amazing. And it's alive and well. And if anyone is suffering, you know, um, you don't have to suffer alone. Uh, we have a plan uh, that that has brought me and brought you out of the depths of uh, what seems like hell. Uh, only to be of maximum service to somebody else. It's amazing. There is a I solution. See, I can see how God is using me uh, because I didn't want to make my past be uh, something that I disrespected. Today, mm-hmm. I honor my journey and my path, uh, every step of it, because I know that God was um, was uh, pruning me into the woman that I would be today. Amen. And he's still he's mm-hmm. still doing that. How do you start your day every day? Oh, uh, I get up and uh, before I leave the bed, I pray. Uh, I love the Lord's Prayer because it is a uh, a complete prayer that Jesus gave us. It Mm -hmm. contains everything we need for the day. Mm -hmm. I do that one. And then I do a prayer of anybody that's on my mind. And sometimes I'll pray for a half hour. Sometimes I get up quickly, uh, sometimes longer, depending on what the need is for that day. But I don't let the itty bitty shitty committee out of bed without praying uh, for it. Mm -hmm. And. I take my dogs. I have Elvis and Priscilla. I have a Minpin and a Chihuahua. They're 12 years old and they are adorable. And uh, we get up and they go potty first. Uh, so we go outside, we go for a little walk and we go potty and I come back and I take care of their sustenance and feed them. Uh, and then I sit down and I do a little book. It's by Sherry Rose. Uh, it's called uh, His Princess Warrior. And it's the um, uh, meditation and uh, scriptures. Uh, from God to his princess warrior. Uh, and I read that and get inspired. And then I get in the scriptures and I read some scripture. Uh, and then I set upon uh, doing another long walk uh, with my dogs. They do, we do at least a mile, mile and a half a day. And uh, come back and sit down and say, okay, what what's on the schedule today? Uh, God gave me the ability to organize a lot of information. Um, and so... I've amassed, you know, my my company and um, I have uh, Blakely uh, that, you know, I attend to and get her to school and uh, be a room parent. I get to be a room parent uh, and, um, you know, live a life that I never thought I'd have. My husband called me uh, once and, and he said, so I hear you got a little girl. And he says, you know, God must love you. I'm glad that you have oh. a child. And so my life is, is just full. I just say, uh, okay, what would you have me do today? And I, uh, I have a calendar. 
I have it what I'm supposed to be, but sometimes I veer totally off course and go over here or go over there because I feel spirit led and I'm more comfortable and trusting of those today. Um, what I, you know, what is my hope for 24 is I want to, um, I want to build a, uh, a team that wants to go to Nepal and do trekking and visit the recovery centers that are in place there today mm -hmm. and learn what recovery is like in a third world country, uh, throw in some trekking, um, Call me Rita Sherpa. Uh, I was fortunate that he was my guide on my first trip over, and he just happens to be the Guinness World Book record climb Mount Everest 27 times. Oh, wow. He taught me, he taught me how to walk and to walk with purpose. Hmm. One of the greatest teachers in my life. So wow. I'd like to put together where they could spend time with the Sherpas in their village and learn some of the deep cultural things that, get them up that mountain life less well uh, that well it, literally and metaphorically that is right we did i did the triple crown when i was uh, let's see in 2013 14 i went back to nepal been there seven times uh and so i'd like to put together a, a tour you know of people in recovery mm -hmm. uh, have them um earn their money if they need to if they're coming out of a treatment know that it's possible if you put your focus on something you can make it happen and go to a foreign country with just open my eyes to so much that i didn't know and i came back a changed person and oh, I bet. That, that's the name of my com companies are new you recovery new the letter u uh, recovery because we are new and we're new in, 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 in our walk in sobriety. And I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be come on, come on. And, and that's the story that came out of me today. I love uh, it. God gave me those words to share. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm so grateful to know that, that, you know, I have a sister that, is is marching the yeah. march too and and uh, girl i'll tell you we just we have to we just have to keep at it you know keep, uh, um, keep sharing the word yeah, yeah keep keep Island. filling ourselves up so that we can That's keep right. giving it away so That's how can people find you are you on social media i have i have, I have one uh, one phrase i want to give when i went to when i got to aa I was a hopeless dope fiend, which is alcohol for mm -hmm. me and drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I'm a dopeless hope fiend. So mm. I'm in the rooms, heard in the rooms. Um, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Marsha, M-A-R-S-H-A, Waters. That's my maiden name. Um, my married name is Stafford. On Facebook, I accept new friends. And uh, you can also um, get me at Marsha, M-A-R-S-H-A, S is in Sam, A-B-C, like the alphabet, at AOL.com. And my phone number is area code 801-574-8765. And I would love to hear from anyone, anytime, anywhere, um, because that's what we do. We connect. That's amazing. Yeah. I love your heart. Yeah. Well, and I'm well, going to reach out to you after the show because we have more to talk about. So, yes, um, thank yes. you, my sister. God always puts the puzzle pieces together. I love it. Isn't that fun? I love you yes. so much. Thank you so much yes. for being thank on you. the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. Keep coming oh, back. Thank you for having me. Uh huh. Cha cha cha. Talk bye to bye, you honey. soon, Charlie. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back.
This has been a Rogue Media Network production.